It is good to be in L.A. So you can get your face in the camera. You know, I figured if I was going to see something 20 or 25 times, I ought to know more about it. You're the best son money can buy. It's a monkey. Well, sure, it's a monkey. But aside from that, it's a vivid, wonderful film. Entertainment is part of what makes us exceptional. I'm not, I'm not criticizing Hollywood. Without Derek Zoolander, male modeling wouldn't be what it is today. I, I mean, I have to say, when I, when I heard that, like, people actually watch this show, I was, I was actually pretty surprised. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the eighth episode of Watching Mates. I'm this week's host, Mike Levito, and I'm joined, as always, by Lars Emerson. How's it going, Mike? Going all right. Um, if you're listening, you probably already know that this is our podcast, in which we explore trends in film and cinema under each post-war president. As we progress from episode to episode, Truman, Eisenhower, Eisenhower, Kennedy, and so on, Lars and I each choose a film to capture the zeitgeist of that administration as portrayed, on the silver screen. And this episode we'll be talking about America's 40th president, Ronald Wilson Reagan. Conveniently for the purposes of this podcast, Reagan began his career as an actor, as president of the Screen Actors Guild, eventually becoming a conservative activist and governor of California. He defeated incumbent President Jimmy Carter in the 1980 election, becoming the oldest president elected at the time and setting the template for modern American conservatism in the process. He cut spending on domestic programs, fought public sector unions, and slashed regulations, a supply-side strategy known as Reaganomics, while increasing spending on military and defense and taking a more aggressive stance towards the Soviet Union than his predecessors, which, ironically, actually led to an increase in the national debt. While he won re-election in 1984 via the second-largest landslide ever, that didn't shield him from his fair share of criticism. Despite overseeing a successful economy and being credited with winning the Cold War, Reagan caught flack for his role in the Iran-Contra affair and his administration's slow response to the growing AIDS pandemic. Whatever one's feelings of Reagan's policies, he is arguably the most consequential president since Franklin D. Roosevelt, relying the American political spectrum rightward and remaining a figurehead of the Republican Party and the conservative movement long after his death in 2004. Lars, what are your thoughts on the legacy of Ronald Reagan? Yeah, I... Um... I agree with what you said. He's definitely the most consequential post-war president uh, so far. I think history has been increasingly negative towards Reagan. I think a lot of his policies have just been shown to be like incredibly long-lasting and having like the worst possible side effects. And you could read that in a conservative way or a liberal way, right? Is that, you look at like the increase in government debt. That was Reagan. Yeah. Like, like it or not, that was your guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, you could also look at, like, mental health in this country and homelessness in this country. The fact that those are still problems to the degree they are was also Reagan. Yeah, incredibly important president. I'm not sure history will remember him as fondly as it did 10 or 20 years ago. And I think, uh, actually, Trump's rise has escalated that in that Trump did not like Reagan and, like, actively said Reagan sucked. And Republicans, that's a, that's a great way to end your Republican primary for you if you say that, but it worked. I don't think Reagan carries the weight he used to. Yeah, it's funny. As I was writing this and I got to the part where I was like, oh, he's still a figurehead um, in the Republican Party and the conservative movement. And that is true to a degree, but it's it's definitely less so. I was raised in a household that very much enjoyed Ronald Reagan, even though I was not ever alive uh, during his administration. I, it's, it's it's fascinating to me that he won the way he did in 1984, that he came like that close to winning every state in the union. Because, yeah, I, I, I've seen a lot of the critiques of his policies, and I agree with 
a fair share of them. And it's just interesting to me that he was able to attract such widespread support. Then we'll talk about that, I'm sure, in the podcast, why maybe he is popular, context of the movies we're watching. But yeah, it, but I think you're right. There, there has been this kind of backlash. I, I kind of monitor uh, right-wing media a little bit. And there's been this backlash among certain people against what they call zombie Reaganism, which is basically this idea among conservatives and Republicans that Reagan is the template and we should endeavor for this sort of like, you know, combination of market liberalism, you know, this sort of like, you know, low taxes, low government spending, this aggr- and this aggr- aggressive foreign policy posture. And I think that, yeah, Trumpism is a reaction to a lot of that, right? It is isolationist and it is not uh, shy, even even though many of the bills Trump signed is kind of runs contrary to this, but it's also not shy about spending a lot of money and being kind of, you know, very interventionist when it comes to the domestic policy. So yeah, I think his we we the age of Reagan it's it's too too early to call it dead yet, but I think it is dying. Yeah. I mean it's it's also been a while and uh, yeah, he he's not one of those presidents that looks better the longer you go on. I think that's become very very clear. Yeah. <laughs> and yet, I mean we talked about Carter last episode. Carter is a president who looks better. Mm-hmm. As time goes on, and I don't think Reagan is that way. I think Iran Contra and just everything that came out after that. I mean, Reagan was not actually very popular towards the end of his term either. Yeah, and yet he, I think he, I remember shortly after he died, there was some like I think it was PBS, some channel did like a Who's the Greatest American Ever um, <laughs> thing, and Reagan ended up winning. Um, so he was very popular at his death, and like I, you know, I think there's really an entire generation of people who really did uh, admire him and enjoy him. But I, the reason why it just, it just, I will, we'll talk about this more in movies. So let, let's just, let's just get to that basically. So we're doing for, for reasons that would become apparent, we're doing the order a little differently than usual. Usually the non hosts movie goes first, but we're going to go with my movie first, which is back to the future. which was directed by Robert Zemeckis written by Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis, and starring Michael J. Fox, Christopher Lloyd, Crispin Glover, Glover, and Leah Thompson. If you don't know what this is, if you've never watched a movie before and whatever, uh, it is the story of Marty McFly, who is a teenager in Hill Valley, California, who is friends with a uh, professor named Dr. Brown, who builds a time machine out of a DeLorean, and who is, through a series of, of, of really just like packed in crazy plot ends up accidentally going back to 1955. He meets his parents while he's in 1955 when they're teenagers, his mother falls in love with him, which of course causes lots of problems because if she falls in love with him and not his father, then that would mean that he and his siblings would cease to exist. And so he is trying to both get back to 1985 and to set up his parents. What what do you think about this movie, Lars? <laughs> this is one of my favorite movies of all time, Mike. And I'm very glad that uh, you chose this movie because the 80s is my favorite decade for just film in general. And Back to the Future really, uh, really captures why. It's so fun. It is so fun and it is so good. I love this movie. <laughs> yeah, it is a lot of fun. Um, I've seen this, obviously, like you probably like a dozen times. Yes, it, it's a great movie. It, it is, it's crazy just how, like, enmeshed in American popular culture this movie is. Yeah. I, I, the way it became, like, a cultural phenomenon, I don't know that there's... 
like an original story like this. Like maybe Inception is the closest thing we've seen recently, but it's just really hard to imagine a movie just taking over the culture the way this did and becoming such a phenomenon, such a touchstone. Like it is truly a modern classic. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's 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 a great movie. It's fun. It's iconic. Can't say enough. Uh, should we just just get into how it relates to Reagan? <laughs> Uh, yeah <laughs> yeah so i mean i i think that so this is this is not an original idea right that this movie is like reaganist or whatever right i mean marty's uh home life is not portrayed as very ideal at the beginning right his 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 father is uh subordinate to his high school bully biff tannen and it's just kind of like a dweeb generally his mother it is implied is an alcoholic his brother works at a fast food joint his sister can't get a date and he is considered a slacker by the principal and all this stuff, but he's still very cool. And basically his happy ending, what happens is when he comes back, not only does he prevent his siblings from being erased from history, but also his father becomes a very successful sci-fi novelist and Biff basically becomes the family's like valet, right? <laughs> like he, he's this very sort of, he becomes like this, like, un, like very like sniveling sort of like underling guy who's like, you know, waxing and buffing their car and just like very, very subservient. And so like this idea of like, you know, the happy ending is material success, right? It is having more money than your high school bully. It is then making them work for you and humiliating them and also getting to drive in this very ugly truck that Marty wants to drive. At the right. right. And, and, you know, throughout, it's also just a very like, you know, it's very much about like individual responsibility, individual impact, right? This idea of being individual and sort of you know, not, you know, it's like that Margaret Thatcher quote, right? There's no such thing as society, just individuals making their choices. It, it, it's very much about that. Literally just having destiny in your hands, right? We see the mayor of Hill Valley's Goldie Wilson in 1985. In 1955, he is just sort of like a soda jerk at the local diner. And even though he is black, and this is a time when, you know, participating in politics is not easy if you're black, he still has these grand ambitions to be mayor. And he just Damn, he has a positive attitude. He sticks to it and eventually becomes mayor, right? You know, American racism and inequality overcome by sick to attitude. However, I will also say that I think that this movie also is kind of like against like the moralizing of the Reagan era. Like it very much, I think, exposes particularly Marty's mother as like a hypocrite, right? Because early on, like Marty's girlfriend calls calls Marty and his mother's like, I just don't know about a girl who calls a boy. You know, I don't know about that. I would never do that. Marty says she he thinks she was born a nun, this whole thing. But meanwhile, in the in the past, it's like finds out that she was drinking as a teenager and smoking as a teenager. And really these sort of like puritanical 1950s values that she expects her children to abide by. She did not abide by herself. Right. As much as this is a movie that is like very nostalgic and like very pro nostalgia, it also is kind of anti nostalgia. Even, there's even like racism depicted in 1955. Right even against Irish people, right? <laughs> Biff calls George McFly an Irish bug. And then you have like, you know, Biff's goons call Marvin Berry some kind of racial slur. And, you know, there's a lot of that too. So I do think there there is a degree of sort of like carving away at the nostalgia as well. It kind of tries to have it both ways in a way. So I, I think it, this is maybe not quite as sort of like avowedly pro-Reagan as, as some people might make it out to be. Oh, Absolutely. I, I see the original Back to the Future as like kind of the ultimate throwback movie. Um, it's like a movie about throwbacks within throwbacks. 
And it, it, Reagan is a throwback figure, right? I mean, he he was not the first to say this, but he is certainly the one who popularized saying "Make America Great Again." Is Reagan like he 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 pontificated on like going back to a better era because America he thought was in decline, and so let's try it, and that's what <laughs> we do in Back to the Future. We see kind of how things are in the early '80s, and we go and reflect on like, oh, look at how things could have been, or how they used to be in the '50s. I mean, you they show you. Like, I love the scene when Marty, like, first starts, like, walking around the city and it's got, like, Mr. Sandman, bump, 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 bump. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's like you see the 50s, like, stars and the 50s movie theater, of which Ronald Reagan is actually one listed. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's got, like, the 50s music and, like, the 50s mindset you were kind of talking about. Even though, that, like you said, there is still, like, you know, the use of, like, one racial slur in the film. I think it's, like, incredibly whitewashed. Like, obviously, the 50s were not that great. And I, I just think after the 60s and 70s, a lot of people, especially conservatives, uh, romanticized the 50s because it was kind of the last time they felt good. <laughs> like, I, like you could say under Nixon, but I'm not sure that like the Reaganites felt particularly good. I mean, you don't want to like cling to that, right? You'd rather move on. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, but I also think like to this day we romanticize the 50s. I, I know, I know, I do. I don't, I don't know. You, so you, you get all of that. You have other you, you talked about Goldie Wilson. Um, he's kind of a throwback, too. Right. It's like you see him. His like campaign truck drives by like in the 80s version of the town. And it's like reelect mayor Goldie Wilson. Progress is his middle name. But like he's been in office like 20 years at this point. It's well, kind of if you a know, joke. There, there's also a, like a similar truck in 1955. That is also whoever the mayor then is, is also saying. That yeah. he's going to bring progress to Hill Valley. Right, right. I, I think it's it's also kind of poking fun at Democrats in that way. Yes. They all they all talk about progress. Yeah. Um, I don't want to dive too far into the Carter time, but I think it, like, digs at Carter in some ways. The, the whole, like, plutonium theft and then, like, the Libyans are coming out to get Doc yeah. Brown's plutonium. It feels like a very end of the 70s kind of plot. It point. does. But it's all, I mean, like, Reagan also bombed the Libyans, too. So it, it's yeah. also, like, it even has, like, foreign policy on the mind, I guess, is, like, right. another, another thing, yeah. Just, I love he just goes, the Libyans! Yeah. <laughs> it is, like, I was like, like, this is just, like, a lot of plot to stuff into, like, the first, like, 20 minutes of this movie. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I think it all, it does all of that very well. I want to talk a little bit about Marty McFly, our protagonist, because, because so, Michael J. Fox... Before back to, being on Back to the Future, he was known for a show called Family Ties, which I'm sure you know about, Mike, where he literally plays like a Reaganite yeah. teen mm-hmm. with a liberal family. And now he's playing like the ultimate 80s boy in Back to the yeah. Future. Good casting. I thought that was very clever. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I was thinking about that, too, and I had it written down. So I'm sure that was in the back of a lot of people's minds as they were watching uh, this movie. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, good casting. And it, Reagan, it, so it's funny because as we were wa- as I was watching this, too, I realized that I think this is the closest we've come to having a president as a character, like why, like right. the actual president as a character. Um, in the next movie too, and you'll find out why. And it's like, oh, uh, we're maybe you know we're 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 flirting with the rule here about the president not being a character. But it it is interesting to me because you talk about sort of like the fifties nostalgia, and it's like you think about Reagan's success, and I think so much of it was because people knew him as, like, the actor from the cowboy movies, right? You know, he, they, they, he, he reminded them of that time, even though he was, I don't know if he was really considered, like, a great actor or whatever, but he reminded them of sort of, like, 
the 50s and early 60s this, this sort of like authoritative friendly you know voice Give and, it up and for it, the giver. you would you would not be able to make that with like any president there i don't know that there's really any president who evokes like a nostalgia like that like yeah trump was make america great again but i don't know if people were, I mean, maybe they were nostalgic for the apprentice i i don't think so but you <laughs> Tr- know. trump is backward looking but he's not like of a backward he, he feels actually very modern <laughs> yeah that, yeah that, that is true and so, yeah, just like I, I like Reagan's whole thing, like you said, yeah, it was nostalgic. And the movie's very conscious that is like directly to the president, right? It, it's, it's, it's very conscious. Like, and like, there's even, you know, uh, what's his name? They, uh, something about, there's some comment Marty makes about TVs and how common they are. And then uh, Doc Brown goes, oh, no, no, no wonder the president has to look good on television, right? When he finds out that Reagan, the actor, is, is president, right? So I think there's like, it's also a little conscious of his sort of like superficiality, I think. Well, well, they directly reference Reagan a couple times, right? Is yeah. is when Marty goes <laughs> back to the past. I, I always think as a brief aside, I always think of like John Mulaney's bit on this movie, and he's like mm-hmm. in the pitch room. It's like so there's this kid, and yeah. he's friends with this like weird old guy, <laughs> and he goes back to the future, and he kisses his mom. <laughs> I I and had then, for- gotten how into him his mom is in this movie <laughs> yeah. uh, like she jumps him um yeah. and then like at the end of this like pitch meeting they're like well guess what we're gonna call it <laughs> back to the future and they're like shouldn't it be back to the past and he's like no <laughs> um anyway so marty goes back to the past or he goes to the past for the first time mm-hmm. he's trying to convince the doc brown from 30 years ago what happened <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, and Doc Brown's like, well, then who's president in the future? As it, which doesn't make any sense to me because Doc Brown would not know that. Like, if Marty were to say Jimmy Carter, Doc Brown's not going to believe that either. Yeah, he's not even going to know who that is. Right. But and you know, Doc Brown goes, uh, and Marty says like Ronald Reagan, and Brown goes, oh, the actor. <laughs> it's crazy. And then yeah, they do that. Like uh, a couple of scenes later, they have the like, your president has to be an actor, so he looks good on television, which is yeah. that's a smart line. Mm-hmm. It is. Um, but yes, they do directly mention the president in this. So it's a good pick. Yeah, exactly. I do. It's just. It's a it's a great movie. <laughs> it's it's just it's something. You know, I feel like when I was young, I just thought this movie was so cool and so fun. And I feel like as I've gotten older, this whole like idea kind of appeals to me more. Like it would be like genuine, genuinely fast fascinating, to like kind of be in Marty's position. And like yeah. I kind of want to see you know, like my parents in high school. Mm-hmm. It's like the idea of just like, like rehashing the past is, um, is I think generally considered like not super healthy, but yeah. like it super appeals to me. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, everyone would, would want that. Um, yeah, it, it would be wild. It'd be very weird. But yeah, no, I, yeah, this is, I think it, it does like what a lot of 80, 80s movie, 80s movies do where like, Especially, like, when I was young watching, I was like, it's cool that there's this guy who's, like, technically a kid, but he's so, like, free and autonomous, right? Yeah. Like, you know, he, he just he's able to, to, to do all the stuff. He's his own man. And that, you know, it's just, like, a great, great, great time for, for movies about teens, the 80s, were. Um, yeah. Your Karate Kid and all the John Hughes movies and stuff. Um, just just good stuff. Yeah. What one, one last um, thing kind of on, like, tying it back to like America in the eighties versus the fifties is you were saying how like at the end of the movie, he resolves this and his family has become successful. Mm-hmm. It's like his family becomes the American dream. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't as think that's does Wilson, like you were saying, yeah. is they all, all of the like good characters live out the American dream by going back into the past, and which feels so Reagan-y to me. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and it's th- through through their own hard work and talent too. Right, and also they're literally. There is literally a clock tower that is stuck at a time of struck by lightning that they are trying to preserve. They're literally trying to preserve the minute, right? Just the idea of seeing time frozen is so appealing to them, right? Yeah. Deep. It's a deep and like, I think people give it credit for. Yeah, and there's like, there's also this idea of like, you know, they they meet at this like mall parking lot to test out the DeLorean that used to be farmland too. It's this idea of like, is is that progress? Is, is turning this this patch of farmland into into just another another part of the urban sprawl? Is that progress? Who knows? Yeah, like I, I, yeah. I think that, but I think that's like I don't know. It's interesting. I don't know. I think it's an interesting thing to think about. All right, let's move on to our second movie then. Lars, what did you pick? <laughs> yeah, great question, Mike. So I made the controversial decision to go with Back to the Future Part Two. <laughs> And But I'm actually very glad I did this. So my, my premise doing this is not just because I wanted to pick Back to the Future, but Mike mentioned it first. It's also – so Back to the Future, your center year is 1985, right? That's when Back to the Future came out and ostensibly takes place. They go literally 30 years before to look at 1955. Back to the Future Part 2, which, by the way, is directed by Robert Zemeckis and stars all the same people, but it came out in 1989, so – at the very end, in the little after Reagan's tenure, is it apex, apparently they weren't originally planning on making a sequel, even though the ending of the original teases a sequel. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Yes, the the tease is like very on the nose in this these movies too. Yes, but anyway, Back to the Future Part Two it looks at thirty years after nineteen eighty five. It goes to the year twenty fifteen, which anyone listening to this has now lived through, so we can mm-hmm. joke about that. Like we said about Back to the Future Part 1, the 1980s kind of romanticized the past, so I wanted to see how they felt about the future. Mm. So that's kind of my thesis in choosing Back to the Future Part 2. And I thought it... I remembered this as kind of being the weakest of the three films. There's also a third one where they go to the Old West. But I actually liked it a lot on the rewatch. What do you think, Mike? I did too. It felt like a live-action Looney Tune to me and in like a good way. Yeah. Uh, which makes sense because this was the movie that Robert Zemeckis directed after Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Which I, I almost picked after as well. <laughs> that would have been a good pick. Yeah, I've actually never seen it all the way through. But I, I yeah, I, I had a lot of fun with it. It's it's just it's just a good time. Like I, I don't know what else there is to say. It, it's just it it it's a lot of fun. It it sort of like dials up some of the character traits and stuff up higher than they were in the first movie I, I do think it's actually funnier than the first movie in some ways you you get a lot more biff who i think may actually be the funniest character yeah yeah well and just like the whole the whole video they show like at the t- at, the, at the beginning of like biff's casino like yeah. i just thought that was so funny or just like biff wins again <laughs> right. Just like... right so so for our listeners kind of the plot of back to the future part two is Doc Brown takes Marty and his recast girlfriend 30 years into the future to stop. Okay. So Back to the Future Part 1 is about, like, correcting a mistake. Back to the Future Part 2 is, like, the problem with meddling. is like, they meddle and they fuck stuff up. Mm-hmm. So they go into the future and Marty, to, like, help Marty's kid not go to jail, 
and well, to tie this back to Reagan, it's like Marty, who looks exactly like his child, is like supposed to dress up as his kid and go tell a guy named Griff, who's <laughs> Biff's child, um, is like Doc's like guy named Griff. He's gonna be at the bar. Just say no. Little Reagan. Uh... And this will, like, avoid, like, a future that'll be bad for Marty and his children. And he, like, discovers that he's not very rich in the future. And his family's, like, all kind of sad. And they don't live in a very nice place. So he takes a sports almanac for the next 30 years back with him into the past. That's his plan. But Doc makes him get throw it away. But then the old Biff <laughs> gets in the time machine, drives back to young Biff, gives him the pamphlet, goes back to the future. There you go. That's back to the future. Mm-hmm. And then... Marty and Doc go back in time. They realize that the entire timeline has changed because of this one Biff is now like a billionaire who started a casino and kind of rules the world and lives out a Trump fantasy, actually. Mm-hmm. And marries Marty's mother. After killing his After dad. Killing his dad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so this one is like, this is Doc's fault. Whereas the first movie at least felt like an accident or like you had no choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like... That's kind of also a good parallel with the Reagan administration. It's like the first five years, it's like, you know, he was doing his thing, kind of doing what he was said he was going to do. And then, like, he started meddling with shit. Mm-hmm. And it didn't go well. Yeah, I, I think oh. that's, that, that's, that's an interesting way to take it. I mean, this is another one, too, where there is, like, he goes to, uh, to in, in 2015, he goes to Cafe 80s, which is yeah. supposed to be an 80s themed cafe and like the guy who it's it's very strange it's like the guy reading him the menu is like sort of like animatronic puppet ronald reagan thing but then like uh, another one of the ayatollah pops up arguing with the reagan one so again another very direct reagan reference i what what, and what struck me so interesting about that because like i feel like if you if you're talking about distinctive decades like the 80s stand out a lot right i feel like the 80s they're very easy to parody they're very easy easy to sort of like represent sort of in like you know different like fashion markers and music markers and things like that and this movie is like very conscious in a way of how the 80s will be viewed in the future and like i don't think like much in the same way that you need reagan to be president to make the first back to the future like i don't know that you can like there'd be another decade you could do that for Mm. right like i like and i was thinking it's like is there a president as associated with a decade as Reagan's with the 80s. And I think you could maybe argue Clinton for the 90s. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it helps that they both like exactly in the decade, like Obama straddles two decades. Yeah. Too much. And Reagan was also the first president to serve a full two terms since Eisenhower, which is wild to think about, actually. But yeah. And so I don't it's it, it, it was just I don't know, fascinating to me how conscious it was of how it would be viewed, like how it how it knew that there was, I think, a time limit on the 80s in a way i mean like literally there is because eventually it becomes 1990 but like the the sort of like the things that the 80s valued i think which is just just kind of fascinating to me. and you know as what, what what does marty do when he's in the future well he, he he's gonna find a way to make a buck right he's gonna find a way to make it profitable right by picking up the sports almanac he he wants to use this new technique because i feel like the 80s is also kind of a futuristic decade in a way mm-hmm. It's kind of when, like, the computing revolution started to really take off and, like, got integrated in the finance and stuff. And he wants to use the technology for financial gain, which feels mm-hmm. very, it's very reagan of him. It is. <laughs> yes. And another moment movie that made me laugh is when he's, he's buying the almanac in this, like, antique shop. And 
the 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 woman selling it to him is like, oh yeah, you know, it has this dust jacket, which is what people used to put on yeah. on the books to to protect them. And then she's like, also, if you're interested in dust, I have this like dust buster. And it's yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> completely unrelated, I guess. Also, I I am obliged to point out that in 2015 they have the Cubs winning the World Series. Yeah. Uh, over an unnamed Miami team with a crocodile or alligator <laughs> mascot. I would like it to be known that while the Cubs did ha- do well in 2015, they did not win the World Series because they did not win the National League pennant because they lost it in four games because they were absolutely dominated by the New York Metropolitan Baseball Club. It was really not even close. It was a glorious, glorious month to be me until the very end when they lost the Royals in the World Series. <laughs> I, just, I just had to point that out. Um, Mike wishes he had a sports almanac from the future so he could see that the Mets never win. <laughs> so, no, I was thinking about this and it's like, would I, right? Because so much of the joy of if the Mets ever win the World Series when I'm alive, so much of the joy is the fact that, like, it's it's not a sure thing, right? That I will never, like, you know, I will never be able to, like, you know, entirely know that they will win one. So when it does happen, it'll be very special. So I think actually knowing the results would ruin it for me. If, if I knew the results until, like, you know, 2050 or something. Like, that that would ruin sports watching. So what I would do is I have to bet on, like, sports I didn't really care about. Like, on horse racing or boxing or, I don't know, I guess college football. Like, I like college football, but I don't, I don't care. I don't have, like, a vested interest in it the way I do other sports. Okay. <laughs> when I'm a billionaire from doing this, you'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is fun. This is another aside, but it's like, this is funny, too, where it's like, I watch these movies, and I'm like, man, I'd, I'd hate it if I were in this situation. It's like, this is literally never going to happen to me. Right, right. Like, this is something I do not have to worry about, like, at all. Right. But every time I watch it, I'm like, oh, man, I, I really hope this never happens to me. Yeah. Uh, what are the odds? I don't I don't know. I don't have like a, a ton because we kind of talked about a lot of the like nostalgia stuff. I think this movie's just very obviously nostalgic for itself. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it spends a lot of time back in actually the 1950s. They have to go back there <laughs> because that's when the old Biff gives the young Biff the sports almanac. Their, their vision of the future is just very interesting to me that there's a lot of film sequels, which I think is fair. I think that's mostly come to fruition. We don't have Jaws 12, but we've got, you know, six more star wars movies than we expected true (laughs) yeah there's a lot of like michael jackson and reagan stuff in the bar and like you said they do know that the 80s is like important there is Um, there's also literally a the very famous fanny fair cover of ronald and nancy reagan there is a cardboard cutout of that on the side of the yeah yeah i i do like (laughs) i i like that they thought we'd have like flying cars and flying hoverboards or hoverboards and stuff like that I also like how far bullying technology has come. <laughs> I like Biff's got Biff Jr. Griff. Griff, Griff sorry. Yes. He's got this whole like bullying suit and like bat. Yeah. Like a computer. Well, it's like, like a retractable wow. baseball bat. <laughs> yeah. So it's yeah. easy to conceal. And then his, his female companion who delivers the immortal line, what, do you have no scrot? Um, <laughs> has... Like, this weird, like, talent on her finger. Yeah. Bullying technology came a long way. It did. Uh, um, even he even is able to, like... It's like a reverse Santa situation, right? Where it's, like... <laughs> he's able to pull, like, his fleet of goons on right. a giant hoverboard. Right. <laughs> a reverse Santa. That's funny. And be like, yeah, the reindeer were behind Santa. But I don't, I don't know. I, I think... The most interesting part of this movie is actually the revised 1980s that they yes, go back I agree. to. I agree. Um, 
where and I mean, as we get towards the end of this, I don't want to like dwell on the whole Trump thing, but I, I think we kind of have to say it is Biff literally or sorry, Trump literally turns into Biff, right? Yeah, I <laughs> He's mean, like well, a misogynistic even... asshole yeah. who like cheats and wins a lot of money and starts a casino. I mean, like the tacky decor and like the hair, yeah. the like comb over. It's like uncanny. Yeah. I say even in the first movie, his hair was very Trumpian. <laughs> yeah, it's very uncanny. A uh, yeah. little creepy. So my oh, and Billy Zane's in this movie. Did you notice that? <laughs> I saw it in the credits. Who is he? Is he like one of he's Griff's one goons? of yeah, he's one of Biff's. He's like the cowboy Biff goon. <laughs> so I don't want to dwell on the Trump thing too much, but I think it lets us kind of talk about how Reagan's hypocrisy leads to Trumpism. Yes. Yeah. To define Reagan's hypocrisy. So I mean, it's kind of like I was saying, it's like this film's all about like meddling with what you should not have meddled with. Mm-hmm. And like Reagan's like, oh, we're going to cut taxes and cut the budget. And they actually, you know, didn't. And his uh, you would think of Reagan as like a compassionate conservatism, but his policies would not reflect that, especially with like AIDS and homelessness. And I, don't know, I would stuff describe like him that. as optimistic conservative. I don't know if I describe him as compassionate conservative. Um, I don't, I don't I mean, know if he ever marketed himself as like a mean guy. No, he didn't. But I think that his goal was also not necessarily to lift people out of poverty. The way that I think, you know, whatever you say about the guy, I do think that was kind of George Bush's goal initially when he was like first running for president. Yeah. Um, I I could also be wrong, but uh, I don't know. I, but you know, he but that yes, that that is why Reagan was so popular is because he marketed himself as not an angry person, as just <laughs> your grandpa. Who was, you know, friendly and 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 you know, he was the great communicator for a reason. Yeah, and and I don't know. I mean, you you just see Reagan had a lot of like policy faults and personal mm-hmm. faults, and I think he he was kind of like immortalized as something he never was. I mean, a Republican today would think Reagan was like uh, more liberal than Mitt Romney, right? <laughs> just in terms of like policies, that's kind of the sense mm-hmm. that I get. Yeah. Um, and and that's bad. That's bad. <laughs> but you do see how like Reagan starts to pave the way for the conservatism that comes after him. Yeah. Well, what was so interesting about the rise in 1985 is like you get to see sort of like the fears of the people in 1989. Also, maybe notice that line estates, the address of success, another very sort of Reagan thing. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I I don't know if that's like accidental that like when Marty goes to his house, that's no longer his house. Like there's a black family living there. And also just like the, the youth are like militarized. Right. It's just like it's like this like very weird sort of like Mad Max-esque environment where like you see people like basically in tanks like roaming the streets of, right. of, of, of Hill Valley, which, you know, I think, you know, an important part of Reagan's history was that when he was governor of California, he took like a hard line against... You know, this was in, like, the mid to late 60s. He took a hard line against, like, protesters at Berkeley and things like that, right? He was yeah. seen as the guy who was restoring order to California and to college campuses. Um, he also passed laws that were direct, you know, they it, they didn't say it in the law, but were actually meant to prevent the Black Panther Party from, like, openly carrying weapons in California as well. So this idea of sort of, like, a, like a militarized, militarized, like, populist... And that just these un- unruly teens, you know, I-, I think sort of like it's what a lot of people were afraid of. And that led them to vote for Reagan in the first place. I mean, we're sort of moving into conclusions. 
mm-hmm. about these two films now. I, I agree with all of that. I, I, I just think they have a very good uh, th- their narrative on the like the American dream, which I'm not sure has ever been like fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Um, but you you think it was fulfilled in the 80s. And their narrative on like nostalgia. I mean, obviously these films have a lot in common, right? <laughs> but they're both focused on like some pretty big 80s themes. It's like profit, it's nostalgia, it's the American dream. And like, this isn't something you associate with the 80s, but it's something we associate with the 80s now is like consequences. Mm-hmm. These things that you do have consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, I, what I also think is interesting about the Back to the Future trilogy in general is like, yes, there is a protagonist and yes, Biff and Griff and <laughs> Mad Dog or whatever is. 1800s version is he's like evil and like a rapist and bad like clearly mm-hmm. he's bad but it's not really like a good versus evil trilogy it's more about like we got to solve a problem yeah that that, that is Which true is similar to jaws in that way actually and I, I think we're in that little we're in that little dip where movies are kind of like that there's a lot of more let's solve a problem <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that is interesting. But there's also like an odd sort of like idea, and maybe it's a kind of like classist idea in a way where the, the, the you know, it's like, the, but the Tannins are like an inherently evil family in a way, right? Right. It's like their their evilness like echoes through the generations. <laughs> Transcends. Yeah, and there's kind of like, I guess like a nature versus nurture argument to be had about that. There's also, I, I think this is an anti, you were talking about how it's like also making fun of Reagan, is mm-hmm. I think this kind of emerges more as a theme in like the second and the third movie, but it's mm-hmm. like Marty McFly is like, if you call him a chicken, he'll do whatever, like mm-hmm. you can manipulate him in that way. It's like, don't ever, nobody calls me a chicken. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the third movie, his d- distant <laughs> ancestor is like, there's no shame in it. <laughs> you could have just walked away and been the better man. <laughs> Because they're, you know, there are immigrants. Yeah, yeah. that that feels very anti-Reagan, actually. Because I, I don't see Reagan as someone who would just like shrug something off and walk away. Or yeah, conserv- no. I, conservatism would not go down that path. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and that's like, yeah, like I said, it's like the it's the aggressive foreign policy posture, right? It's 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 redeeming, you know, the loss of Vietnam, basically. It's we we have to show these Soviets the you know, give give them the what for, yeah, that whole thing. Can't can't yeah. back down. Have to be strong. It is interesting to me that like when they do dip into foreign policy in these movies that's all in like regards to like the middle east and they don't really talk about the soviets um you have the libyans well, then you have the ayatollah they do i actually think it may be like the funniest line in the first movie is um marty's talking about to the old the doc brown from the 50s like marty's mm-hmm. explaining and he's like um i and I had to like wear a radiation suit, mm-hmm. and Tom Brown's like, "Oh, a radiation suit, of course, yeah. <laughs> because of all the fallout from the atomic wars." Yeah, yeah. Um, I just I, that's funny. <laughs> it is, yes. Um, but yeah, you're right. The Soviets aren't really they aren't really talked about. I, I get it more for Back to the Future two and three because yeah. it's not. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. The one thing I will say that just popped in my mind is that in the 50s, they refer to Marty as Calvin Klein because that's what it says on his underwear. And this idea of like being defined by your consuming choices also feels very 80s, right? Ooh. Oh, that's good. Yeah, just popped in my mind. I, yeah, I like that. I've got one more like kind of interesting theme that I did some research on to tie these together if you're ready. <laughs> okay. Okay. 
these movies are actually very pro-temperance and they're very anti-alcohol. They're also very anti-gambling and anti-vices of any kind, right? Mm. Yes. <laughs> That's like an actual theme between all three movies. I noticed is they all like have distinct moments where it's like alcohol is bad. Mm. Even when it's like, it's not, <laughs> it's not like super clear that the mom is like an alcoholic. She has a drink with dinner. <laughs> I, I don't know. She's pouring like right bottle of pop off into her sure class. I, I don't know. Whatever. You would. It's um, Wikipedia says she's an alcoholic. Yes, I, I think she is clearly <laughs> supposed to be that way. But it's you don't see like it's a, subtle. It's subtle. Yeah. So I did some research on this, and I discovered that the '80s were like our last big temperance decade. Is not only did Reagan sign legislation on raising the drinking age, but beer consumption dropped seven percent through the '80s. Wine use fell fourteen percent, and uh, hard liquor fell twenty three percent. Like the decade showed showed like this dramatic drop in alcohol consumption, and the government and like Hollywood kind of like bought into it, and like you know enacted policies and made more statements about it. And I thought that was interesting. <laughs> like to see those numbers for cocaine use but yes that is interesting <laughs> yeah just you wait i mean biden's about to ban like flavored cigarettes or whatever so okay. could happen again so yeah uh i think we covered a lot of bases but but what these movies sort of like you know what what are your takeaways from movies in the reagan era Lars? looking only at the back to the future trilogy but i mean uh, you know name a movie in the 80s and i've probably watched it um i, I think they're very I, I think they try to be unifying Mm-hmm. In, in ignoring reality completely is like the back to the future trilogy. I mean, you look at like, but you could say the same about star Wars, Indiana Jones, you know, gremlins for all that matters. They all like actually have like a lot of political implications to them. Um, I actually almost chose gremlins for this too. Cause they have like this whole thing about like anti-Japanese trade is like worked <laughs> into the plot, but they're all like very unifying movies. They mm-hmm. don't really feel like they, they feel like they're just paving over like clearly all of the problems i mean indiana jones is a white guy who like runs around native temples stealing stuff and he's awesome like indiana single hand and single-handedly defeats the nazis right um but as you're just like papering everyone loves indiana jones right and he's like yeah it's implied that he like slept with a 14 year old or whatever but like he's like a hero i think the 80s is a very unifying decade and i don't think everyone is carried along with that obviously and i think reagan to go like completely full circle, yeah, 1984 is one of the biggest landslides in American history. Like a lot of people voted for Reagan, uh, like a lot of people voted for Reagan. So it was assumed that this is like so accepted, but you're clearly still papering over like, you know, 30, 40 percent of the American population. Yeah, I, it's, it's very white and suburban, right? Yeah, I think that's kind of the headline, and. It, it's very conscious of social mobility or lack thereof and of, of those kinds of problems, I think. There, there, there is, I think, if you watch, even like in the John Hughes movies, there's a lot of sort of like considerations about like class and, and things like that. It, it's very conscious, I think, of its, of its place in American history and of sort of like the conception of post-war America and, and sort of like what's expected of people in post-war America. And it, it is sometimes critical, I think. But it's it's just very very conscious of it and it's very very happy to play with it. I think is the the headline. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. All right. Well, this has been Watching Mates. Thank you everybody for listening. I'm Mike Levito. You can find me on Twitter at mlevito on Letterboxd at Ameramike, and you can find my writing on the Post Writer. I just wrote a big piece about the music I've been listening to so far this year.
And I'm Lars Emerson. Uh, you can find me on Letterboxd at Lars Emerson. And you can find all of our stuff on thepostwriter.com. Yeah, and you can find this podcast anywhere you stream podcasts. Leave a review and rate us five stars. I realize every podcast does that, but we never do. So maybe we, we should. We don't. We don't need them. <laughs> Just kidding. We do. If you want to like support us, that'd be awesome. And you can write into us actually too now at uh, if you want to shoot us an email at contact at thepostwriter.com. Yeah. So uh, thanks everybody for listening, and uh, we'll see you back in the future. To to talk about H. Talk w. about Bush. yes, George H. W. Bush. Woo! Very exciting. All right. Yeah. Bye.